I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Welcome to Screen Run. I'm your host, The Lady Juan, and I'm here with... Chris Galza. Screen Run is the show where Chris and I explore the films of a particular artist or franchise, and season three is all about the movies from John Carpenter. We are delighted to be joined by a special guest today from all the way across the pond. We have Sean Alexander of from Sivaco, Road to Avatar. What is your problem, Chris? I'm not signed because of Sean. I'm Let signed. me introduce our lovely guest. Be quiet, Chris. Let me talk to Sean. All right. Hi, Sean. Hello. <laughs> nice to meet you. Uh, welcome into our fight. <laughs> well, I, I, I say, I'm, I'm assuming, Sean, I was I, I, sighing for you because I can't imagine how many times you've heard somebody say, from across the pond. So I was concerned that you'd be like, oh, Christ, again. What, that like, he was going to sign off? <laughs> yeah, that, that was it. That was the moment I was like, <laughs> you know what? No, I've had it. I can't deal with these Amer- Americans Last anymore. Straw. No more. <laughs> across the pond it's interesting like why why have we even bothered calling it the pond at this point no one (laughs) (laughs) it's it's too big for a pond guys look it is it is quite large (laughs) yeah i I... proper oh i'm sorry please no go on sean are you are you proper english is that a way for me to say because i am like half english so it's always (laughs) yes i am proper english uh i think all my family is either from england or well, certainly for a few generations, I think my my dad's into his ancestry sort of thing. So he does looked back, yeah. and I think we've got some Nordic <laughs> bloodline somewhere along the line. But a while back, okay, <laughs> that's good. Juan is very specific about like bloodlines and lineage for <laughs> our guests. So I'm making that up. I, I'm no, not I'm sure. not. I'm not. I think it's cool that podcasts bring people together from around the world. That's all I was trying to mm. emphasize, Chris. You and I happen to be like 40 minutes away, but our guests can join us from anywhere. And that is the beauty of podcasting. Yeah. Magic. That's it. I just, I wanted to, I wanted to just celebrate some unity here. Sean, what is your relationship to the filmmaker, John Carpenter? What's your history with him? How do you feel? So I love John Carpenter as a person. I love the vibe he's been giving off in the recent years. Uh, the, uh, the It's always that clip of him just talking about how any time a new Halloween movie comes out, he just waits for the check to come through the post. And I, I want to live that life in the future, hopefully. That'd be great. Right. Like, that's the dream, right? Just wait for the royalty checks to show up. Yeah, just coast off some success and be appreciated Mm. sounds amazing yeah yeah um so we're we're super excited today to talk about what is arguably john carpenter's most famous film 1978's halloween so i like how you put that his most famous film i i i arguably i feel like it is though right well i was gonna say like his his considered his his best film or his masterpiece which i would hardly disagree with but uh that's Famous. I like that. I, yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way. That's yeah. All. That's that. That's how it, it kind of came to me. But Chris, when did you first see Halloween? Ooh, man, that's a good question. I don't know. It's like one of those things where Halloween it's is like omnipresent in your life. <laughs> yeah, right. It's yeah. It's such a cultural touchstone. I'm hard pressed to exactly remember when I first saw it. I'm assuming it was some type of television running at the time in yeah. the uh early 80s would be my guest guess why did i have a t at the end <laughs> what i i would probably say when i first really focused on it proper because one of my best friends this is like his favorite film yeah and uh so he would always praise it and he liked the whole franchise which is i can't even begin to wrap my head around but <laughs> i um i don't i would have to probably say 
legitimately sat and watched it probably late 80s mm. on VHS type of a thing. And it certainly had an impact on me. I, I, I found it very engrossing and scary and stuff. But when I revisited it like a decade or so later, I found it not as scary mm-hmm. and a little, I don't know. It's funny. I, I it doesn't have the same. It didn't have the same impact to me in my late twenties, early thirties that it did in my you know my early thirteens, maybe when yeah. I watched it. But then when I rewatched it again a couple of years ago, and then again for this, mm-hmm. I had an entirely different reaction again. Ooh. But I don't know. So it's one of those things. Like I said, it's omnipresent in in the in the cultural yeah. zeitgeist, especially for horror films. So yeah. it's it's almost unavoidable. But I don't like the negative connotation that that has to it. I don't know. What about you, Sean? Like, what was the your big introduction to this? What was so that like? I think my first introduction was when I, I I must have been like fourteen, fifteen, and when you're like a moody teenager, you're like, oh, I want to like find some like edgier movies to watch. So like horror is the obvious go to. <laughs> and my yeah. my original go to was the Saw franchise, which was like the the most violent way into it possible. <laughs> but then I was like, oh, I better like explore like the classics of horror. And Halloween's obviously, like, one of the big ones. Uh, that, and I think, I, I really remember, like, Nightmare on Elm Street. And Halloween was definitely what I watched then, and it definitely had an impact then. But I remember going back to it when I went to university. I did a film degree, and we studied it, studied Ooh. Halloween for it. And that was, like, fantastic, because it, it, like, brought a whole new light to it. I did watch it that way as a teenager, and then suddenly I was watching, like, a whole yeah. new direction. I love wow. that. I think that we have a, a gentleman with a film degree on the show. I think I'm excited to be exposed as the hack that I am. I think Juan, you will get through this fine, but um, this is going to be a, an interesting and possibly embarrassing conversation for me. So I'm excited about that. Cool. Well, I think if I get through it fine, it's only because I am a spectacular bullshit artist because I did not see Halloween like truly watch it until after I saw the 2018 one. Whoa, wait. <laughs> yeah. The David Gordon Green, Danny McBride is your yeah. first exposure to I mean, any Michael Myers property? The th- yes, but also I feel like I knew it. Like, and when I did watch it, I was like, yeah, I, I know this movie. Like, I it just, like you said, it feels omnipresent in the world to the point where I hadn't even seen it and I felt like I had seen it. Okay. Yeah. I don't yeah. mean that okay. in a negative way either. Like you said, like, unavoidable like that kind of thing like it truly is like it kind of is like star wars that even if you haven't seen it you like you know what it is so i want to clarify so did you watch gordon green's film first or did you watch this in anticipation because it's a direct sequel to gordon no i just straight up went to the movie theaters in 2018 and was like i i know enough to know okay yeah, and I did. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> you don't... Yeah, I knew. I knew yeah. the vibes. So Juan's clearly, I guess, in the evil dies tonight camp. Then that's your. Uh... <laughs> I did. So I haven't seen those other ones. I only saw Halloween, the 2018. No, I didn't see ends? kills or ends. No, I was like, I got oh. it. <laughs> so you don't even know. Okay, you don't even know evil dies tonight then. I watched I watched Halloween Kills. But I'm the on first the internet, time, actually, so I week. do. I haven't oh. seen the ends though, because um I haven't got wrapped to that. How did you feel about Kills? Is it available across the pond? Uh, Halloween at Ends is at theaters now, so um I, I just haven't okay. got out to that see it sense. yet. It but I watched Kills because I was like, Oh, you know, let's see what let's see what's happening. Didn't realise that it was like <laughs> just a, it's, it's like a stopgap. <laughs> ready for the ready for the yeah. sequel. Yeah. I mean, I guess that in that case, waiting until now to to watch Kills was a good call because you don't have to wait that yeah. long. Like everybody else who saw it before was like, all right, now looking at our watches. <laughs> um, yeah. Again, I, d- I did not see it. I gleaned this from the Internet. Right. Uh, were, you, were you a fan of uh, uh, Kills at all? Because it, it, with the Halloween aficionados, I guess it, it has a it's a less than uh, positive experience. I actually enjoyed it and i just rewatched the unrated version i rewatched i went through the whole run before ends and i still like halloween kills probably just because of its high body count and how kind of violent it is it's like incredibly <laughs> violent like the kills are like 
like almost sadistic in in this one i think for the first time like michael myers <laughs> is not like a a flashy killer normally <laughs> he's quite simple he's a simple fella he likes the the simple oh. stab, stab in the face <laughs> but here he was getting he's getting creative <laughs> and i like the ideas it was bringing i think it had some interesting ideas but i feel like maybe once i see ends will feel like fully fleshed out it was like a lot more to do with like the community and like what the Ooh. town had going on <laughs> and maybe maybe they kind of finished that all off in the next one but i don't have high hopes right now <laughs> <laughs> no the town arc basically is that film well, no and then the final film is <laughs> well, i've heard there's a much much different I've heard beast there's a new character to look forward to i can't remember it's cameron or something yes. like that or yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. which it's... sounds like the, a great thing to do in a trilogy is to introduce a new character in the third yeah. movie and maybe not have michael myers in <laughs> two-thirds of the film yes it's uh it sounds awesome idea. So... <laughs> this i is... didn't mind it anyway <laughs> so i'm curious then sean because you talk about the cruelty in this, this, this sadistic sadism of, of of that second film have you seen zombies movies because that's my complaint with those that those two films are just plain mean. I haven't got round to zombies. I can't get a copy of his ha- Halloween remake. Halloween 2, everywhere. There's like copies of that falling out the walls in uh, <laughs> the, the local <laughs> shops. I can't get a copy of the of Robert Zombies Halloween at all for the life of me. So I'm waiting to watch that one mm. before I get to Halloween 2. Uh, but from what I understand, That's his just... ones are also quite just cruel. <laughs> yeah, I don't care for them. What's funny is that we have the exact opposite problem here in the States where you can get Zombies first film, but the second film, especially the unrated director's cut, is out of print. You can't get it. You're going to pay probably 40, 50 bucks for a Blu-ray on eBay for it here. Uh, But that's my issue with those films is they're irredeemably mean and cruel and I've never Mm. cared for them. I've thought about rewatching them, but I don't know. I I just don't know because like I said... I walked out of that second one, and I'm like, I never want to revisit this experience ever again. There's just <laughs> no redeeming value whatsoever in that, that is, film. That's like a Ouch. that's a harsh review. You know, it's not bad, but there's like it's so like it hurts me <laughs> emotionally. I'm hurt. Yeah. So, all right. So we've covered David Gordon Green. We've covered <laughs> yep. Rob Zombie briefly. Mm-hmm. So what are we actually here to... What are we here to talk yeah, about? Yeah, we're here to talk about the OG. That one? Ooh. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think everyone is familiar with the plot of Halloween, even if you hadn't seen it, which was for sure the case for me. So Michael Myers is a small child, murders his sister on Halloween, and 15 years later escapes from a mental institu- mental hospital where he's been locked up all this time and starts stalking Laurie Strode and kills her friends before trying to kill her. But she lives. That's all you need to know about the overall plot. If you were awoken from a coma from before 1978 and you just woke up today, that's what you need to know about Halloween. Otherwise, everybody knows Halloween. Like, truly, everybody knows it. But before we talk about the film itself, I just want to like quickly go over how this movie came to be, um, which we actually started kind of laying the groundwork for in our last episode. So if you listen to that, you know that Assault on Precinct 13, which was John Carpenter's second movie, but really like his first true film, um, it did just okay in the States financially, but it was well received by critics and producers approached him to do a psycho killer babysitter movie. And he was like, sure, but I'm going to make an impactful horror movie. He wanted to make something like The Exorcist that like mattered like to film. And he wrote the script with Deborah Hill, his girlfriend and producing partner. They wrote it in 10 days. And Hill, who is a human woman, had experience being a babysitter. So she's really responsible for the realism of the dialogue in the movie between our, our teen girls, which everybody celebrates because, you know, back in the 70s, the idea of a human woman contributing to dialogue in a movie was pretty cool. It's still pretty cool. We should do it more. It would be great. Yeah. <laughs> okay i agree and any anything else that we should cover for uh the background before we dive into the actual film itself because yeah did i miss anything chris any corrections no no i think that's that that works for me sean do you have anything to uh add to that recap of the (laughs) no i 
I mean, I think you nailed the recap. It's that's, that is the <laughs> plot of Halloween. Like, yeah, and there we go. I think that's, that's pretty it. much what anyone would tell you the plot of Halloween is, regardless if they have yeah. or have not seen it. Absolutely, like the baseline plot is easy to explain, and it really is. Like when you watch it, it is that, but it's so great. Mm. <laughs> like I know we don't we don't normally dive immediately into like do we like it, but I feel like. I feel like we're all on the same page here. Pretty positive vibes. It is spooky season as we're recording this. So I'm very glad I got to watch this a couple of times to prepare. As another segue from last episode to this episode, last episode we had uh, Kim Richards getting murdered on screen, who is our impactful kill in that film. And this movie, we have her sister, Kyle Richards. Kim and Kyle are both queens of bravo uh real real housewives of beverly hills and i was delighted to see them both as children only one got murdered though kyle is our annoying kid being babysat but can we talk like straight up out of order of this and just talk about the the kills themselves because as somebody who is like i'll allow it (laughs) thank you as somebody who doesn't consider themselves like a horror aficionado or even like somebody who's like if it's out of season wants to watch a scary movie i love the kills in this movie because they're not overly gory but they're cool and the movie doesn't like rely on jump scares but it's not absent of jump scares i don't even know how to explain when you're not a horror fan being able to appreciate this as like i think he did what he set out to do and make an impactful horror movie i think the world knows this film absolutely so is there a particular kill there that jumped out to you that you wanted to focus on i can't even truly decide because every time i watch it i'm like that's that's the best and it's just i think it's the combination of like the slow pacing and the deliberateness that is this is a weird word to use refreshing (laughs) compared to like watching other kind of like spastic silly intense reliant on jump scare horror movies john do you okay do you anything you want to add to that or is there a particular i know for me i have one favorite one that i've always enjoyed the most i mean my favorite it's like the lead up to the kill which is when michael myers walks in with the uh the ghost sheet over his head with the glasses the sheet on. <laughs> because it means that he took the whole time to like get ready as well yeah. like put the sheet on put the glasses yeah. on he's like this will this will go down really well <laughs> uh, yeah it's just it's like yeah be like awesome. i love that because it's kind of it has that it's a little bit goofy it it's it's a bit of a yeah. funny moment in the film which for the most part, is very serious, you know. He's mm-hmm. just looming constantly, like, in the background, yeah. in the corners. It's just, like, an yeah. awful presence. And then, sort of, like, the first couple times you sort of yeah. see him, yeah. Like, like one of the first times he's actually in someone's house, he's dressing up as a ghost to, to, <laughs> get, to get up close and get the kill. Yeah. Yeah, I would... I, I wonder if anybody has, like, put together a reenactment of everything michael myers was up to during the events of halloween that we don't see like where he's dragging that gravestone in and like throwing it on the bed and like gotta arrange it like i want to see all of the stuff that happened off screen like gotta arrange the bodies this way uh i would love to see what he's up to when we're not watching him i think that's if i have any critique of the film it may be (laughs) that stuff that might be unrealistic for a yeah, I mean, particularly the sheet kill, <laughs> it's because it reveals, I think, or exposes maybe a potential sense of humor to mm. do. They're kind of like, to, like you said, like, all right, let me put the sheet on, let me put on the glasses. Does he stand in front of a mirror and straighten everything <laughs> like, out? Sure I mean, there's on. a, like you said, John, there's an inherent kind of goofiness to it that I think doesn't really match anything else that he does. I get the obsession with going home and the tombstone and stuff mm-hmm. that. Okay, I don't have as much of an issue with it. I think when the film works best, it's like what you said, is that there is this town that has this horrible, horrible secret. Mm. And it comes back to haunt them. And it, I love the fact that then you're always wondering, like, his presence and his looming presence, how he's always watching you. Mm-hmm. Or like, or somebody's watching you, right? And it's like that 
that history, that story of what he did as a child has basically haunted this town this entire time. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I've gotten out of it since I rewatched it recently. Yeah. And I said before, it kind of didn't really work for me as much. I really kind of sat. And I think one of the big things for me, too, is I picked up the 4K disc for this Ooh. that was put out by Screen Factory here in the States. I think, Sean, I think Kino Orber, I think, is where you would get it. Something like that, uh, yeah. Internationally. Not Kino. I'm sorry. No, it's um, Studio yes, Canal. yes. And it's the picture on this new release is so beautiful and mm-hmm. so crisp and clear. Like there's scenes, stuff I didn't recognize, like when he's following her around in the station wagon, right? There's scenes every now and then where you can't really see in the window him, but in this, you can see his face in the mask, yeah. but it's, it's much, it's, it's still kind of muted. But it's more clear that yeah. he's driving around with his mask on and stuff. And it just adds an air of creepiness with the increased definition of everything. It yeah. really just, I don't know. It makes it even that much more unsettling. But I, yeah. So for me, the, 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 my favorite kill, I guess, just to get that out of the way, is Bob. When he picks him up, stabs him against the wall. Yeah. And Bob just <laughs> hangs there from the uh, knife. Yeah. And what sells it. Is his slight head turn as he watches Bob die. Yeah. And I think that is like, for me, the essence of who Michael Myers is. Yeah. He's just there to kill everything he comes across and just watch what happens. Yeah. He's curious. Yeah. You know, and I don't know. That's what is probably the most kind of spine chilling moment for me is it's not even so much the kill. And the force and strength, right? To be able to drive the knife into the wall to keep him oh, hanging yeah. on the wall. But oh. it's the head tilt as he watches him die. Yeah. Is what sells it for me. It's it's completely inhuman. Yeah. Like it's um it's a moment where even though, you know, you're not looking at this character's face anyway, there is no humanity to him that he would be watching that moment as just sort of like, hmm. Look at you. Like it is so scary. But like mesmerizing because you're like wow you just told me everything about this character in in emotion not a word yeah. uh you know not not full body like literally just one motion tells you everything about him i think as well like when you think about the fact that the he went to the mental hospital after doing that kill when he was a kid he's still in a kid-like yeah. state when he escapes and exactly. is like exploring this world again in like an like an adult body now and he doesn't understand yeah. it and i think that's part of the like the interests that he shows you know like why he's so fascinated by everything and maybe why there's that a little bit of that playfulness you know this and like the rearranging yeah, the bedroom that's a good point. and putting on the bed sheet because he is still a bit childlike in a sense and yeah, yeah there's and there's that Fair obsession point. and obviously because obviously his first kid was his sister and then it's sort of like that that sort of almost that desire to reenact that moment again yeah i mean it's the only thing he knows really i mean it's not like he's making great memories and having fun times in the hospital you know it so that's it that's not only was that like obviously a defining moment in his life because he straight up murdered his sister, but also it's the only thing that he can reflect upon that happened outside of that place where he spent the last 15 years. So if it wasn't a dramatic, intense, life-changing moment, it would have become one anyway, just from it being the only thing that he has left to think about. I know he's like a little kid, so it's not really like he's got a lot of memories from before then. So it's really fascinating to think about like the psyche of this character but i also love that this movie doesn't like honestly this doctor is incompetent like we're really not getting into he's he's, no he's a terrible doctor and (laughs) like we're really not exploring it's not like oh let's get inside the mind of a killer no no we can't we cannot get inside that mind we're just gonna watch what happens and the fact that it all kicks off with him stalking Laurie in the daytime is like so scary because he's just standing out there. He's not hiding. He's just like just just watching. And it's it's so much creepier than like someone creeping in through your window, like looking, um, you know, th- she could see him. 
if anybody else looked, they could see him too. Like it's, it's a lack of fear on his part because he's just, he's not, not human. Like that's not what we've got from him. Have either of you seen the in the deleted scenes, the TV version? Uh, no, no, I haven't. No. Uh-uh. So that's the TV version is where we get the uh, introduction that Laurie is his sister. That's technically not canon. And I like yeah. how in uh, the Gordon Green Halloween film, they kind of push that away, too. <laughs> They're like, ah, never li- not true. Yeah, I never liked that. I like the randomness of it. Yes. That it's not a relation at all to him. But there's an interesting... A couple of really interesting th- scenes in the TV version. One, when Loomis is talking to Michael Myers when he's still a kid. I think he's like 12 or 13 at this point. And he's talking to him basically like, I see you. You've fooled everybody else, but you haven't fooled me. And he's just staring out the window. And then, uh, I don't know, some of the other stuff doesn't really work. But there's an earlier scene, too, where they're, tra- they're going to transfer him or they're going to move him or something like that, too. And he's pleading with the board, don't do it, don't do it type of a thing. That's where they introduce, I think, the fact that it's, that it's a uh, sister. So, I don't know. I don't know. There's some interesting stuff in the TV version that adds a little more context, adds the relation thing, which I don't like. But I think in the end, I think they were right to cut most of that stuff or at least, yeah, not have filmed that, at least for the the theatrical version. I think the less we know about him, the better he works as as a boogeyman. Yeah, for sure. And I much prefer the idea that he's only after her because she went into his house. Because yeah. that's that's something that that not I have to choose my words uh, carefully here so they don't sound like uh, I'm a fan of victim blaming. <laughs> but that's like something she did versus, you know, if you were like if you're just born as this person. So therefore, because you're his sister, he wants to kill you because you got a psycho brother. Can't help that. But the idea that like she did something and now he's after her. That's that's scarier to me because that could be mm-hmm. anybody. Anybody who goes in that house. If he's there, you're on his list. Like that's that's to me much scarier than just he got out and now he's going to find his sister. Like she doesn't know he's his sister or she's his sister, so who cares? Like, you know what I mean? It's not I guess it's because it's not like truly within the entire context of the film. So we don't need it in there. But um, just I prefer it if that's not the case. Yeah. You know, what? I think that's so interesting because also we mentioned about Halloween Kills. And that kind of does that discussion where it's like it's talking about whether Laurie has been stalked by Michael Myers because she's who she is. Or if it's just that he is yeah. randomly he is just a killing monster and it's just whoever's in the path. Is, is he actually like yeah. trying to stalk her directly or is it just that she's just the wrong person at the wrong place and it could have happened to anyone and it's i think that's such an interesting thing and it brings out that argument is is michael myers scarier if he is just a man or is he scarier if he's this sort of like beyond man entity which can't be stopped which they seem to <laughs> change change up whether they want him to be like a regular guy who's just like yeah. weird or <laughs> the the embodiment of evil who cannot be stopped yeah it just it just depends, I guess, on their mood, which one of that uh, he falls mm. into. I am a firm believer in, at least as far as like horror movies go, the less you define as like the text of what what is the reasoning here, the more scary I find it. You know, even like like modern. I I mean, I think it's technically a horror film. Us from Jordan Peele. The more you explain in that movie, the more I'm like, ah, uh-uh, no, you lost me. This was way scarier when it was just doppelgangers. Now that you want to explain the reasoning behind it, that's not this. I'm I'm pulling all these threads and it's not making sense. So the idea to give me just enough is like this guy when he was a little kid killed a sister. Nobody knows why, and now he's out. Like okay, that's all I need. Like that's enough information because he's going back to his same hometown, and so that's the town that needs to be on alert. But I don't need. I don't need any more specifics of, oh, he's going to find his long lost sister. And no, the less is more when it comes to horror. And that's a big issue. Another big issue with the zombie films is they spend a lot of time building up his backstory and explaining what happened to him and why he is the way he is. Oh, yeah. You know, his mother was an exotic dancer and he was bullied as a kid in school and they picked on him and his, you know, all this little, your traditional, how does a serial killer become a serial killer type stuff. 
And I, again, it robs the the film of the, for lack of a better term, I guess, magic of the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, so having so much exposition about why he is the way he is, is just, I don't know. I, I'm not interested in it. I'm not. Yeah. No. Less is more, man. Just show, don't mm-hmm. tell. Yeah. Uh, like like I said, I, I prefer to glean everything I need to know about the character from his head tilt as he watches someone die than watch scenes of him talking to his doc well not talking to his doctor where you tell me about his psyche no no just show me a creepy head tilt that's all i want i was watching the film with with the uh, commentary mm-hmm. with uh, carpenter and jamie lee curtis and one thing i didn't realize is that his middle name is audrey and that gets what? brought up in the commentary Wait, what? michael audrey myers like audrey hepburn michael audrey myers what why I, I don't know, <laughs> but that's his middle name. So I, I always thought that was a little odd too. And, and what's funny is Carpenter is during the commentary. He's, I'll say he's very much kind of a man of his time. <laughs> uh, there's parts where he'll talk about like when he kills his sister and it'll be like, oh, well, there's. That's this is good. So here's a scene here where there's the knife cutting down. There's blood on the breasts, which is nice. And you know, it's just, and he talks a little bit about how nice her breasts are, you know, and they wanted to make sure they. It, it's just, and Jamie Lee Curtis is there the whole time, and um, well, let me no, I listen. That's not correct. I listen. There's a Carpenter solo on a commentary with just with the two of them. So and I think that they, comment like, I think he forth? made with just himself. But he's still a little borderline inappropriate talking during the Jamie Lee Curtis commentary. And she, I think, does a great job handling him throughout that whole thing. Yeah. With all, uh, and he goes, oh, you look so good. You know, oh, you look great, Jamie. And she goes, oh, John, okay, let's move on type of a thing, you know. And it, yeah. there's this air of like where she may be slightly uncomfortable, but yeah. but she's like – Nah, this is his old guy. He's Uncle John. You know. Yeah, exactly. Everybody knows how to keep their weird uncle at bay. Like, but like, all right. Sure. I don't know. So it was a little interesting <laughs> things like that. That is, uh, yeah. I think the big success, and I'm really curious, Sean, because I've done a lot of talking and you have not. So I want to throw <laughs> some more at you. I would like to hear your thoughts on this. Is I feel like what well, this movie is as successful as it is, is not only its structure. But how Carpenter shoots it, how the blocking, everything, just how the whole thing kind of gets assembled and put together. Did you kind of see any of that? What are your thoughts on that? That's great, because I was going to bring it back to that first scene, which is beautiful. Um, They do it all in one shot. And you are Michael Myers. You're going into the house. You're like peering through windows. Mm. And this is very voyeuristic and it's so interesting that you talked about uh john carpenter's like <laughs> commentary and him being a bit of a voyeur you know he's, he's a little bit pervy yeah. because it is a little bit of a pervy movie at the beginning <laughs> because it is you just watching yeah. in on this couple getting it on uh he doesn't last very long clearly because he's upstairs for about a minute if that <laughs> before he's already leaving out the house Seemed pretty long pretty long <laughs> to me john plenty long but it's so interesting to like immediately put your audience in the position of the villain of the movie putting them seeing through his eyes and putting you in that situation Mm. you are the person like who is invading their privacy you're going into the house you are slashing you are the one attacking your sister and it's sort of really interesting way to like immediately put your audience like on edge to be like like this could be anyone this could be me yeah yeah, you're, yeah, the, you're creep. the creep. <laughs> and I think horror. <laughs> yeah, you guys watching this? But that's like you. the best thing about horror a lot of the time is that it puts you in those situations where you're like, man, I'm getting enjoyment out of this and I should not. This is not good. Like, that's yeah. why horror works so well because it makes you uncomfortable about what you're comfortable about. That is a great way to put it. I love that. And I love too, a lot of one of the things Carpenter does is he borrows from a bunch of other films too for this thing. But they're more, they're not rips or anything like that. I think they're kind of loving homages. Mm-hmm. Like even that scene there basically is an homage to Philip Gilbert's like Blood and Lace, right? Where the guy walks into the house, he pulls, opens up a drawer, grabs a hammer in this case, put, and walks upstairs and then just starts beating uh, this woman to death. And then too, for me, the, 
the uh, you're looking at the view through the mask, right? You're the the view of the killer. That was also yeah. one of my favorite horror films. Sean, I don't know if you've seen is uh, Black Christmas, mm. Bob Clark's uh, horror film that has a lot of that too. Oh, with like specifically where you have the young woman alone in the house, and these victims mm. are all staged in different parts of the house as they as she opens a door, or mm. whatever the case may be, a body drops. You know, Clark had did that with Black Christmas a few years earlier. So there's but there's a lot of that kind of stuff. Even the score which is some classic stuff, right? It still has some, he had, I guess he'd said during the commentary too, that he was going for like a cross or a mix up of the tubular bells from Exorcist and then some music from Goblin, who scored all those fantastic Italian horror films back yeah. in the day. But it t- I supposedly, I guess I'm jumping in the score corner. It took him yeah. three days to do the music for this film. And what I think that I love that because it is, it is so simple, but that is, it's also very, very good. You don't have to have these really, you know, was it dense, really mm-hmm. large kind of pieces. You find a theme, you have this piano heavy theme, not as much use of synthesizers as you see in Assault and then later on in his work. Mm-hmm. But still, I think the music from this film is probably just as iconic if maybe not even more so than the film itself. Yeah. I mean, you hear those few notes, you instantly know what's what's uh what you're listening to and what it's for. So yeah. uh I, I may prefer the um some of his other scores that are more diverse than mm-hmm. Halloween's score is, but I still really, really enjoy it. So um yeah, it is some great stuff there. Sorry, I was jumping all over the place. No, no, I I love it when we swerve into score mm. corner. It's fun. No, it it is it is fantastic though. It's it's iconic, and I think there are so few. Let me press preface this by saying when you think about all the movies that come out all the time, there are so few scores of a singular film that become iconic like this. You know, you can, if if you have a theme, not taking anything away from the tremendous Star Wars themes, but they're repeating throughout movie after movie after movie. So that's a much different accomplishment than a singular movie. And that just becomes it. It's like, there's this, there's Jaws. It's kind of incredible. And and I think it is just as well known, if not more, like you said, than, than the film itself. Like everybody knows the Halloween theme. Everybody knows it. Sean, what do you think of this? Well, I think one of the things why it's so successful too is how Carpenter holds his camera, right? So we do these kind of long tracking shots to kind of establish the fact that he's stalking these people. But then I noticed, too, that he'll hold the shot for a while as well, which I think kind of adds to the paranoia of everything. You're like, all right, we're still static. Why are we still static? (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely like that element of, yeah, he'll just hold the camera and he'll be looking at like something really like, it'll just be like an open shot of like a window or something like that. And you're like, okay, what am I waiting for here? I know something's going on off screen mm. and I mean, it's either about to like hit or not. And sometimes it doesn't. It, it, sometimes they, he just leaves it. Yeah. And I think that's the yeah. beauty of it. Uh, and him as a mm. filmmaker as well, that he feels confident enough in his own like direction and the performances as well to be like, okay, I could just <laughs> leave you lingering on this doorway or something like that. And you're going to be terrified more than I, than I would if I just suddenly got him to jump out at you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, he's playing with your expectations and keeping you on edge, even when nothing is actually happening. You're still like, uh, uh. <laughs> like there's just a just an overall uneasiness it, just from from the very beginning that never really goes away and just escalates as things get more and more intense through the night. And he, you know, finally is coming after Lori herself. Um, it just you feel like he's finally coming after you at that point. Like you've watched everything else and now he's after you. Like even as you're watching all of this go down, it is, um, it's really kind of interesting how he takes you through the perspective of the different characters. So let me ask you both about a couple things too with this is that, all right, clearly it's not full, right? This was shot in Pasadena (laughs) and listening to the, the technical commentary with like Tommy Wallace and Dean Cudney and, and the rest, one of the things was interesting like Wallace was saying yeah we'd have well we've had these big bags of leaves and every time we have to do it a different scene we'd have to bundle them like all up go out and then like drop them all over again where we were shooting next 
But I think that I don't have an issue with that. I think they do a pretty good job, even though every time you look in the background, all the trees basically are green. Yeah, just ignore that. But what are your (laughs) thoughts about shooting the majority of this? I think it's majority, right? It's only to the last act where we get to nighttime. But having a lot of this stuff happen during the day, Mm. how does that kind of set things up for you? Because that's not normally what you do in a horror film. You don't have a lot of your action during the day. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, you kind of like dive dive right into the scariest part. So I love the setup of this unease beginning in the daytime. Um, I think it really, it kind of gives you a sense of impending doom of when it's going to get dark, is if it's already this scary, like, on the way to school, <laughs> like, I, yeah, it's going to get real scary once, once it's the sun setting. So I love it. I love yeah. It. Does that work for you as well, Sean? Or do you want to see more? Uh, I, yeah. I think it, it's perfect the way it is because that idea of, yeah, like being afraid in the daytime. And I think that's something that some horror movies do over rely on is the fact that they're shot <laughs> in darkness so you can't see whatever mm. it is that's scaring you. Mm. He's happy to just put Michael Myers down the street staring at you from behind a yep. hedge and be like, <laughs> yeah, you're going to still be freaked out. You know, yeah. this is just a creepy guy yeah. right now. And it's not until, like, after dark that suddenly it becomes, oh, this is not just a creepy guy. <laughs> this is the murderous guy. Yeah. And I, I feel like this is not directly in the film, but this is sort of, like, the cultural impact of this movie, is that makes the concept of a, a Michael Myers Halloween costume instantly so much scarier than, like, if somebody wants to be, like, dressed up as Freddy Krueger with, like, a weird rubber mask on. Like, that's not that's not the same thing. Like, anybody dressed in, like, a jumpsuit like that with the weird mask on and then if they just are moving slowly that is terrifying in broad daylight like you you have instantly made something that can be scary in any context and it's it's so we had the experience at a (laughs) comic-con uh it was earlier this year so me and my wife went to the Mm comic-con and across the hall was a guy stand just standing there in a michael wise costume he did not move he didn't move (laughs) an inch he was just stood there and he was clearly staring at our direction and every so often my wife would look over my shoulder he was still there not moving nothing nothing going on and then we'd swap around and he would still not move and it was just yeah bizarre absolutely terrifying and i think that shows yeah like as you said with freddy krueger i'm not particularly afraid of freddy krueger he's just a weird man yeah like it's really campy and i'm awake i know i'm awake so i'm okay yeah like if someone was like hey i'm gonna be michael Myers," guess what you can be just grab the knife yeah 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 it's it's so scary So, Sean, I wanted to ask you, I feel there was some blasphemy earlier on this episode that really oh bothers me, and I want you to weigh in on this. Dr. Loomis, um, <laughs> Donald Pleasance, what are your thoughts on uh, Donnie P and his performance there? I've got, I've got no bad things to say about his performance. I love his performance. Yeah. However, yeah. I would like to see his medical documents because I do not believe his <laughs> his he has the best intentions going into this. No, he he appears to be well. He seems to radically change between oh, you know, we could we could save him, we could save him too. He's he's the body of pure evil. I will shoot him on sight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, he's he's a terrible doctor. <laughs> I always felt that I don't have to rewatch. I always felt this whole thing was you wanted to keep him locked up. Well, he never. Yeah, wanted I don't him think he ever out. wanted him out. Well, he didn't want him to get out. But once he's out, he's just like, "We gotta take him out." And <laughs> yeah. like, fair, fair. But he also doesn't do like. It's a weird choice, and and I wouldn't change any of it because I, I think this movie is wonderful. But it is a weird choice that. The doctor who has cared for this then child, known him since he was a child, has been his doctor the whole time, is the one who's like, we got to kill him. Not the sheriff. It's the doctor. He's like, we gotta, he's the we one that take knows him best. I know, he knows but it's just, what they're dealing with. No one else very understands. interesting to me. Yes. I, I, it doesn't feel doctorish. So I'm not saying I want to change it. I'm just saying that if your response to your patient is it should be killed, you are a bad doctor. 
Yeah, I, I, this is the thing. Like, I can understand. It's hard because I do understand the fact that it's like, yeah, he's got, you know, if he was locked up, it's all good. Look, Michael's safely away. Yeah, don't have to worry about it. As soon as yeah. he gets out, it's it's like rooting, tooting. I'm 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 here to shoot Michael Myers on sight. Yeah, Loomis is not wrong. No. He's not wrong. They should be doing everything possible. He's just not a good doctor. Yeah, I just don't. I think he just gets to a point. It's like malignant with that doctor. It's hard <laughs> to cut out the cancer. <laughs> and uh, also a bad doctor, famously bad. Wow. <laughs> I will have no disparaging remarks about my beloved malignant movie. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying that sometimes some of our favorite films can depict people who are bad at their jobs. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah, that's it. <laughs> people are allowed to be bad at their jobs. If anything, it makes it yeah, a better movie because totally. you're seeing people with their, with Very their realistic. flaws, you know? And I think, I was going to say, like, one. yeah, I love yeah. his performance. I think it is a great performance because he has to show this sort yeah. of nuance between being like, you know, I'm, I'm a very caring guy. Like, I, I, I genuinely yeah. feel regret towards Michael, but also I am ready to murder him <laughs> the moment I set eyes on him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Did you know, according to the commentary, too, that that role was originally intended to go for either Peter Cushing or Christopher Lee? That would have been so good. (laughs) And Lee, I get Lee supposedly had said at one point that it was his biggest regret that he turned it down. That would have been so good with Christopher Lee. Actually, to be fair, we put it a cushion as well. Like, I I think it brings that almost extra level of it because of those, that horror background they've both got. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So good. I would love to have yeah. seen Lee or Cushing in that role too. I mean, Pleasance is great. I think mm-hmm. he's iconic in the franchise. He did all the films there, but uh, I don't know. You're right, Sean. Something about Lee, at least, and, and Cushing in that role would have been, uh, I think, something really special. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> well, uh, Sean, is there anything from your academic study of this film Ooh. that that we should that our listeners should be informed of and educate Chris and I because we don't know shit, so. Help us out here. What what else do we need to talk about about health? So I think like the main thing I, <laughs> is that voyeuristic element, and I think that is something that plays yeah. throughout as well. It's the idea of these like glances and views that they see. So I think it's about like what Michael sees and also what Laurie sees, and those sort of exchange mm-hmm. of looks at times as well. I think, you know, the scene where she's in the, the wardrobe and, like, hiding away, and, you know, his face is just looming, looming in there. Yeah. And sort of being a third party to that is so interesting, like, having that dynamic between the two. And I think that kind of shows perfectly, like, that, that build-up to their final encounter is, mm-hmm. you know, is building all to that moment of them finally meeting. Because you know it, you know it's coming. And yeah. it's led up to this in the best possible way by having him just lurking in the darkness most of the time. You, you know, you barely see a full shot of him, really. And I think mm-hmm. that's, again, all, all the power to John Carpenter. As a filmmaker, he just knows what to or not show. And I think that is how horror needs to be more. It needs to, <laughs> needs to be more restrained in terms of like, hey, yeah. look, show a little less. It's more terrifying what you don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I, I, you're 100 percent right. I think he shows impeccable restraint as a filmmaker in this to not overdo it with the the jump scares or overdo it by you know relying too much on the gore of everything. He, it's really it is like a a perfect amount of everything. And I'd say as well, um, I just okay. wanted to say as well, like it's interesting how Halloween's almost become that template for the slasher movie now. Yeah. It is the inspiration for so many more since then as well and uh, i wanted to bring this up because it sort of relates to my podcast because terminator is a is literally halloween with a sci-fi twist on top of it and i think that's so interesting that yeah like you can just take this idea of this of a stalker breaking in and like and like a unknowable force coming after you and apply it to different genres Mm -hmm. so easily yeah. Thank God Halloween didn't have a god awful hotel love scene. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that that would have been what well, it would have been very awkward anyway. I don't. That's true. 
I don't know, Ben Tramer could have stopped over the house to hang out with uh, Laurie. You never know. Well, we did the the, the, the guy who got stabbed in the wall. That, that was your love scene. He got he got some action just before yeah. he died, right? That's true. There you go. <laughs> Had to be punished. All right. Is there anything else before we dive into our uh, favorite, our ratings, all of that? Is there anything else from this film that we should be discussing once and for all? I, maybe... I could talk about the favorites, but I think we've criminally not mentioned Jamie Lee Curtis at all yet. I figured she might be everybody's favorite, but she's definitely my my favorite performance in this film. Let's segue right into it because she's fucking awesome. (laughs) Like she's so great in it. She's like this perfect balance of like a real character. She doesn't like like she's like she's the. Like, she's the stick in the mud in her friend group, but she's not, like, the nerd stereotype. You know, like, none of the friends, um, even as they lean more strongly into different character types, are, you know, just archetypes and nothing more. But I think that she's she's obviously the standout amongst her friends because uh, she lives the longest, so we get to see the most with her. But, um, yeah, I think she her performance is incredible. It brings you into the film. You are her throughout so much of this movie. That's who you associate yourself with. So I think, um, you know, just everything she's doing is, like, pitch perfect. No, that's good. Sean, what about you? Did you have a favorite performance so, in the film? And if not, if it wasn't Jamie Lee, you want to talk about her? I mean, it's, it's hard not to choose Jamie Lee, honestly. Right? But I what? do want to, like, shout out Nick Castle for being, for being yeah. Mike Myers, like, the body performance he gives the presence mm-hmm. he brings to that it's it's unreal because it's so intimidating and he doesn't do a lot in a lot of these shots he is just standing there and it is those yeah. moments where he does like the little head, head tilt or he starts this slow walk and just the yeah like the way he mm. interacts with the world around him is perfect and i think it's hard to do that in just a physical performance, you know. And I think yeah. there's definitely, like, other performances which are a lot more showy in other horror movies for, like, their villain. Once again, Freddy Krueger yeah. is, like, the showiest you can possibly get. <laughs> but I yeah. think Michael Myers is more intimidating and more scary because he is so solid. Definitely. It's such a blank slate of a person. Yeah, it's terrifying. Chris, is Jamie Lee your favourite in this? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of I'm torn. I think Sean is right to bring up Nick Castle as well. I think I don't think the film really works as well as it does a without Carpenter's you know direction and every all the choices he makes, but also of Castle's physical performance as mm-hmm. Michael Myers. But I mean, the film it's carried on the back of Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah, this I think what young twenty year old woman playing a fifteen year old, sixteen year old girl, <laughs> whatever <laughs> it is. But uh, still, because you're right, because she is at times still vulnerable, but mm-hmm. able to uh, rise up to the occasion to defend those kids and uh, attempt to save her own life and fend off this unstoppable, basically killing machine that may or may not be part of a cult called the Thorn Thing, which is another thing we can talk about another day. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I know in the end, I think I have to go with with Curtis with a. Uh, a, it's a neck and neck finish for me between her and Castle, but I think she gets the nod. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll put up our poll on Twitter, and we will throw Castle in there. Like, okay. Let let the people decide um, who their favorite has been. Um, but yeah, she. I I gotta say, uh, Lori is a million times better as a babysitter than Doctor Loomis is. As absolutely a agreed. So just, <laughs> if we're gonna see somebody fail at their job, we're also gonna see somebody absolutely crush it at their job, and she is the best babysitter she does do a good job keeping those kids alive <laughs> you yeah. know what the, the one group of people who don't get murdered <laughs> yeah that is all like as a former babysitter your number one job is keep them alive until the parents come home and she had the most challenges anybody as a babysitter has ever had and she did it she did a great job she took on extra babysitters she took on the work of her her colleague in babysitting she's great so Sean, do you ever hear about this, that it was originally supposed to be called The Babysitter Murders? That's like some kind of thing now. Uh, I'd read online that that's not true. It was always supposed to be called Halloween. But then during the commentary, Carpenter says that. And Curtis 
I'm sorry, no, Jamie Lee Curtis says it was supposed to be the babysitter murders, and Carpenter doesn't correct her. So I don't know. Do you hear anything about that? I've heard that it was meant to be called that, babysitter murders. But I also could believe that John Carpenter would just not bother to tell anyone. You know, he he could either be like, I'm going to tell you, yes, it is, or he could, or the next day he might be like, nope, never was. (laughs) You know, yeah, he, (laughs) you know, depends what mood you get catching me, I think, as well. That's fair. Yeah, I feel like he's capable of rewriting his own lore at any time. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, so let's move into our rating time. So the same as the last film that we discussed, Halloween is 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, And we are rating the films of this season on a scale within our show of one to five synths. And uh, half synths are possible, but no smaller decimals than that. Um, So, Sean, as our lovely guest, would you like to go first and give your rating on a one to five? How many synths do you give Halloween? Well, it's five. (laughs) If five is the best, five. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's not a question. This is is like the horror movie. This is the slasher movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I'm going straight up five cents for quality, performances, cultural impact, score. It is top of the line. Five cents for me. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, agreed. Yeah. I keep going back and forth with it in regards to the fact that I think another film we're going to be talking about is his best film down the road. So do I... You can give five twice. It's I was going to say, yeah. Do I top yeah. them out where they're both at fives? Or they should I give this like a four fives. and a half because it's not his best But. They yeah, can both be I think fives. you're it's right. Okay. I think yeah. five is. <laughs> I always try, Sean. I always try to outthink myself on this stuff. I make like to make things harder than they really are. It, it may or may not be why we have a rating of only only half cents are allowed. <laughs> so that way we can't get into ridiculous. Oh, yes. I would points. like to give this four point nine eight. Yeah, <laughs> it would be happening. Um, another little uh, special rating that we're doing for our carpenter season is. On a scale of 0 to 10, uh, how many fucks did John Carpenter give about the making of this film? Because he's famously said some of his movies are just cash. So 0 to 10, I I will go ahead and and lead things off. I think I am giving this a rating of 10 out of 10. I think he gave all of the fucks. Same as his last movie. I think he wanted to make something impactful. I think he wanted to make something iconic. And I think he did that and uh regardless of results you can still be giving 100 percent and then not make a fantastically perfect film but i still think that this one is all of his effort i think he put everything into it so i think this is a full 10 chris what do you think yeah absolutely agreed he's definitely fully invested in this thing and it shows so yeah for sure yeah sean what's your perspective how many uh fucks did john carpenter give about making halloween they're still uncomfortable (laughs) deal with it chris yeah i totally agree i think it it probably is a 10 out of 10 but i the the one caveat i think is that i just said he was sort of like asked hey make a like a babysitter horror film and maybe that's the sort of part right at the beginning maybe it wasn't 10 out of 10 but oh, I think by the end, yeah. it's definitely a ten out of ten. Like the the end product is yeah. clearly, yeah, there. like he gave the biggest fucks possible. Yes, <laughs> not only all of them, but the yes, biggest of course, ones as the, well. the most. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, all right, so I I think we've covered it all. Sean, thank you so much for being with us today in this conversation you brought Mm. academia into it Mm -hmm. i feel smarter now because of it so where can our listeners hear more of you get your plugs so the best place to find me is my project which is sivako road to avatar which is an avatar podcast Uh, it's all about james cameron his world of pandora the navi everything like that and the best place to find it is at avatar pod on twitter and you'll be able to find various different things I'm doing, which are either podcasts, videos, and sometimes interviews as well. Very cool. Do you, do you have a running like countdown clock? To... Oh, there's so many other people in the community who do the <laughs> countdowns. I, if I start joining, you know, people start this countdown at like a thousand days. I, if I start joining now, oh it's way gosh. too late in the game. Uh, but it's exciting <laughs> because at this point, I believe we are at 52 days from the release of The oh Way of Water. Oh my goodness. Very exciting. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah, wow. Awesome. So everyone, go listen to Sean's show. 
give Screen Rent a rating and a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can follow Sean at Avatar Pod. You can follow us at Screen Run. Chris is at CG Scalzo, and I'm at The Lady One. And um, yeah, we we're super excited to have you here this is an awesome conversation yeah, thank you so, much. so much fun yeah. honestly anytime and, uh, to talk, talk about like a halloween movie it's just like a good time really even the bad <laughs> halloween movies yeah. it's a good time to talk about them yeah. always always so thank you again sean thank you everyone for listening and next episode we'll be back discussing the fog i'm very excited i got my i got my 4k Ooh. just a couple days ago oh my god so, uh, look how spooky i'll be uh popping that bad bear in i'm very excited to see that so, awesome We'll see you soon, guys. Take care. Hit record. Yep. All right. Everybody recording? Yep, recording. Yeah. Just, I mean, start, like now's good. <laughs> Give me a countdown next time. Well, no, that one. was that was me saying it. Like, hey, everybody should record now. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. We good? Sorry. Yes, podcast, mommy. Oh, does Sean know that? Does Sean know about that? I do now. <laughs> no, it's not good. It's not good.